You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. Deuteronomy chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, we continue the series in the red and uh, talking about our financial life. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Little boy determined what he wanted to be when he growed up, when he growed up. I can get away with that, right? No, we got English teachers here. I can't get away with that. Uh, little boy determined what he wanted to be when he grew up. He was excited to tell mom, Mommy, I know what I want to be when I grow up. And mommy said, What is it, son? And she, he looked at her and he said, When I grow up, I want to be a millionaire. She said, Wow. He said, And I'm going to buy a big house. And he said, It's going to be the biggest house, but it's not going to have any bathtubs. Mom looked at him puzzled and said, why would you want a big house and no bathtubs? To which the little boy responded, because I want to be filthy rich. (laughs) I want to be filthy rich. You know, this desire of wealth and desire of money can be a dangerous thing if we don't understand the purpose of which money exists. If we don't understand the value, it becomes something that can be dangerous. If you don't know what a weapon can really do, then that weapon in the wrong hands can produce danger, can produce a deficit. If you don't understand what that can do, and money, of course, has a, has a, a, a character of, a, of just power and resources that would come with it. And this month, we've been talking about our financial life. We've been asking the question, whose red are we living in? If we live in our red, it becomes a deficit. But if we live in God's red, it becomes a provision. Our red is a deficit, but his red is a provision. Our red is our way of handling money. How many know sometimes our way of handling money doesn't always produce good things? Our way of handling money can create debt, can create stress and trouble. But when we honor and handle money the way God says to handle money, it produces an abundance, a provision. We have more than enough. And I believe that we serve a God who will give us more than enough. And I know in our American culture, we, we tend to not know it is to have more than enough because every time we have more, all we end up wanting is. So we never know what it is to have more than enough because every time we get more, we just want more. And so we don't understand and know the joy of having more than enough and God meeting all of our needs. Our red identifies our shortcomings that only equal failure, but his red is literally the blood of Jesus Christ that never loses its power. And the blood of Jesus Christ that poured out from the cross was powerful to redeem you and I from the grip of sin. How many are glad that our sin is covered by the red of his blood this morning? Aren't you glad that our sins are covered by the red of his blood? You might say, well, then he died for our sins. He didn't die to make me wealthy. No, I'm not saying that God died to make us wealthy, but when he died to take away our sins, he also, in that covering, was able to redeem our spiritual life as well as our physical life. The Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. And so the work that says what he did on the cross was to deliver us, and I believe to even deliver us from debt and from slavery, to not only be, be delivered from slaves as slaves to sin, but being delivered as slaves to debt and to things of, of not having enough that we serve a God who is more than enough in our life. Do you believe the God that we believe in the God that we serve? That he is our provision, that he is more than enough in our life. We cannot separate our financial life from our spiritual life. 
And it's been a danger. And I'll tell you another one that becomes a danger in our spiritual life. And I know some of this can be, be difficult, but we tend to, in our culture, or in our spiritual lives, we separate our spiritual life from our financial life and our physical life. Can I tell you they all go together? Your spiritual life includes your physical. I know you look at me and say, well, you're one to talk, big guy. Trust me, I've been talking, and the Lord and I have been talking about it. Because why is it, God, that it's easy for me to do spiritual things, but the moment it's connected to real decisions and to real things, it's easy to be spiritual, to believe for something in the future, and it's hard to be disciplined to operate in the right now. Have you ever found yourself in in that place? And our finances are in the same way. We love being spiritual. God, do a miracle. That means I'll just sit here and let you do it, right? We love that aspect. But when it becomes a matter of, no, I've got to be disciplined, and I've got to now operate and walk in faithfulness to, to, to God, it's, it's where we say, no, I'm just going to believe for the spiritual. And somehow disconnect from our financial decisions or sometimes even physical decisions. I don't want to talk about that one because that one makes me uncomfortable, but God will give us grace in those things. But we understand sometimes when, when we, we trust God, it means every area of our life that we learn to bring our lives under the cross of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You agree? I, I, shouldn't even, I shouldn't ask if you agree with that because we got to be honest, that's what the word of God is. That when I trust God with all of my life, I've got to bring my whole life under that covering and under that order to trust God. And in our finances, how we handle our money proves what we really believe about Jesus. How we handle our finances proves what we believe about Jesus. In fact, do you realize that money was a popular topic for Jesus? Think of this. Matthew, Luke, and Mark. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All but John, these three Gospels, if you were to take all of their verses and and add up all the verses that are combined and then go through and research which verses talk about finances or money, you'll find that all of these three Gospels combined that are about Jesus, his stories, and everything that he did, when you put all those together, one out of six verses in those three Gospels deals with money. One out of six verses. In fact, Jesus told parables. And if you know what parables are, these are Jesus' stories that he used to illustrate spiritual things in, in, our, in our everyday life. And these parables are stories that Jesus told. There are 29 stories told by Jesus. And 16 of those 29 had to do with finances or dealt with money or something of financial nature. Which means of the stories that Jesus told, more than 50% had to do with finances. Jesus talked a lot about money. And I wonder if there, were, if there were those in the crowd who said, man, it seems like all he talks about is money. And Jesus, of course, in that regard was, was identifying that our money, and he says this when he talks about money, that we cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve the God of money or serve money and serve God as well. You have to choose which one that we'll serve. And we've got to allow God to be first. And in our lives, understanding that the way we live or the way we handle our lives or our financial lives will affect the abundant life that God has for us. John 10.10 still says that Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly fulfilled. And sometimes our abundant living is affected by our mismanagement of funds and resources. The way that we handle our resources. We started the first week of this series in the red by addressing the important 
issue of tithing, of giving God 10%, of putting God first in our finances, giving him 10% of our income, which is basically saying to God, God, I'm trusting you first. You are first. Everything else is built upon you and around you. You are first in my life. Is God first in your finances? Is he first in your financial life? Is the, are the decisions you're making in your finances putting God at the top? When we tithe, that's what we're doing on a regular basis. We're saying, God, I'm putting you first. We also talked uh, the second week then in this, this uh, In the Red series, and we talked about our debt crisis, and we addressed our need for planning and for making, making good plans and setting aside funds or budgeting, being appropriate in how we handle our funds, making sure that we are budgeting and, and knowing that there are funds to go towards certain things. I came across a piece this week that described America's debt crisis this way. I thought this was pretty interesting. America's debt crisis is, is troubled by this. Too many people are spending money they, don't, they haven't yet earned for things they don't really need to impress people they don't even like. <laughs> Too many people are spending money they haven't yet earned for things they don't really need to impress people they don't even like. To change our debt situation, we must have changed our approach to how we handle money. We talked last week about the widow and, and uh, that she had the jars when Elisha said to her she was in debt. And Elisha said, gather up all the jars, go into your, into your house, shut the door, pour the oil in there. And the Bible says that the oil stopped when there were no more jars, which means if she had had more jars, there would have been more oil. And so if oil is equal to money, our issue is not money, our issue is management of the jars. We're not in a place where our debt is not a problem because we need more money. Our debt is a problem because we haven't managed the jars appropriately of the money and the resources that God has given us. And when we become managers of that, God will give and bless accordingly. God wants to bless our lives. He wants to cause a, 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 a resource in our lives that would be in abundance. Today we continue with this series in the red, and we're looking at generosity, the gift that keeps on giving. Generosity. i got to be honest with you, this is going to be easy to share among this body because this is one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. I, even as a, as a youth pastor and as I traveled and as I, as I uh, visited other churches, uh, there's a spirit of generosity in, in this church and, and among, among this people. And so this morning, this not only just becomes a reminder, but maybe an encouragement to some and a reminder to others, but the importance of generosity, that as we handle our resources generously, as we become generous with our resources, God pours out a blessing, and we want to look today about the value of generosity generosity, when we become people who are generous. Deuteronomy chapter 15, if you have your Bibles there this morning, I want to take a look at this verse starting in chapter 4. And here is Moses as he's preparing the people to go into the promised land. He's giving them some rules and some things to abide by. So getting them ready when they come in. I really believe our finances, that says a lot about finances, you can't receive God's blessing until you've been made ready to receive God's blessing. There's a readiness that has to happen. I, I heard a gentleman one time, he said, I wrote a book and it made a lot of money. And he said, and I realized the only reason God allowed me to write that book, he said, because someone else could have done it. But the only reason God allowed me to write that book and to make that much money is because God knew he could trust me with the wealth of what that money would bring in. He said, God had already prepared and put in my heart things that he wanted us to do. And I said, God, I don't have money to do that. 
But the moment I said, God, we want to do that, he said blessing began to come. And he said because of blessing, he was able to do what God had put in his heart. God makes you ready for resources. God's not going to give you blessing without, without first giving you a plan. He's not going to bless you without first giving you a plan for what to do with that blessing, to honor God with that blessing, with that resource. He's preparing the Israelites for this blessing that he's taken them into. And here's one of the things, or what he tells them, looking at Deuteronomy 15, verse 4. He says this, There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he is giving you as a special possession. You will receive this blessing if you are careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. How many want God's blessing in your life? Every single one of us. That was a stupid question, I know. Verse 6, The Lord your God will bless you as he has promised You will lend money to many people, but will never need to borrow. You will rule many nations, but they will not rule over you. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone a loan because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. That's pretty strong. If you have means and do not, he says, you will be guilty of sin. He says, and, and here, the, the year of, of canceling debts, every seven years, people would be set free of their debts. Hallelujah. Every seven years, that, they, that those who did not have means to have land and to do things, that every seven years they were set free of their debt. And he says, should you be in the sixth year and someone comes along and says, I'm in need, don't withhold from them because you know they won't have time to pay you back because the seventh year is coming and on the seventh year you have to release them. He says to them, allow and make sure that you're not tight-fisted but you become generous, not waiting for your return but trusting God that he will bless, that he will set things in order, that he will bless you and provide for whatever needs that you have he says don't withhold from them verse 10 give generously to poor to the poor not grudgingly for the lord your god will bless you in everything you do there will always be some in the land who are poor that is why i'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other israelites in need listen what he says at the end of verse 11 he said there always be poor among you that is why i'm commanding you to share freely with those who are in need. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us wisdom. And God, I pray that you would help us in our finances. Lord, as we've been talking over these, this last couple of weeks, God, of having a fresh start, hitting the red restart button in our finances and allowing you, God, to, to set in order. I pray, God, that you would help us today to, to hear your word, to apply it, and Lord, honor and glorify you in all that we do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Something I learned at a young age, and uh, I caught on pretty quick, and uh, what I learned at a young age was this. I learned how not to share. Um, I was pretty good at it. It was something I picked up quite easily and uh, was pretty, pretty good at learning not to share. Uh, in fact, uh, it was so good. I was so good at it that um, uh, my mom would, would uh, have to remind me of how good I was at, at not sharing, and uh, so she would uh, try and Help me on the other side of that. You know how easy it is to not share. You could go to the nursery right now, and I'm sure you might find a, a child or two down there who might be having an issue of sharing with their toys. And I know if that's your child down there, they're the only ones that have it all. They're, they are sharing, I'm sure. If it's your child, they're sharing appropriately. It's all the other kids that, that aren't sharing. 
But you know, it's not the natural thing for us to do is to share. Uh, a couple days ago, I came into the kitchen, and, and Jordan's sitting there doing her homework. And as she's sitting there doing her homework, she has this good-sized Walmart bag of candy. And I looked at her, and it's some good candy in there. I mean, there's some Reese's peanut butter cups. There's some Kit Kats. And, I mean, there's some nice candy in there. I said to her, I said, hey, where'd that come from? She said, my room. I said, what? She said, I didn't want anybody to eat it, so I kept it there. Which what she meant was, I didn't want to share with anybody, so I put it in my room so I wouldn't have to share with anybody and no one else would have to have it. And sometimes in our lives, we look at resources as things that we've got to hoard or we've got to hold on to because it might run out. Isn't, isn't it that person that shows up at the Thanksgiving table and before anybody else can be served, they serve themselves first and they see all the other big people behind them and so they're making sure that they've got enough on their plate so that they don't run out. You know what I mean? I why are y'all looking at me like that? I'm that guy. Okay, if that's me. But you, you want to make sure that no one else is going to get it all. You've got your plate loaded. And, and I remember mom would say to me sometimes, she'd say, Jason, there's more. Because my mom has this reputation. My mom cannot cook. We were a family of eight. I was the oldest of six kids, family of eight. And then when there were foster kids in the house, we had more than eight. So usually there was an average of 10 plus people living in our house at one time. And I would come home and not know who would be home when I got home. And new kids all the time in the house that I grew up. And I grew up in a foster home, but they were my real parents, but I grew up in a foster home. So there'd be kids sitting around the table, and I'd say, man, this new kid, he looks like he can eat. i got to <laughs> let him know who the alpha male is in the house and who gets the food. Mom would say to me, Jason, we have more. You see, when I would be at a place that I had to hoard, I was literally acting in a practice that said, I don't trust that my provider would give me what I need, so I've got to take for myself. When I operate in a hoarding or in a gathering, I'm literally saying, I don't trust that there's more. I don't trust that there's, there's more beyond this, so I've got to gather all that I can, because if I don't, I won't have enough. How many know the God that we serve did not run out of blessings? He's not bankrupt. He didn't pour out his last blessing on some person down the street and say, now I'm out. I'm bankrupt. I'm like the government. I don't have any more to go for. I, there's nothing else I can do. How many know we serve a God who can still create in the midst of any crisis, who can still cause there to be a supplement of whatever our needs are, that he can come at any point, and his blessing that he poured out on your life was not the last one. He's got more than enough in your life. And we live in this life not hoarding, but acknowledging, saying, God, I don't have to have fear that I won't have enough. I can trust that you will always provide. The Bible says this, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread, which means God will take care of you and I. We don't have to pile it on and, and have our own. We look at sharing and you realize that even that word sharing, that it's not easy for us to do. But the word sharing doesn't mean to give everything. It means to give a portion or to give a segment of. That when you share, it only means to give a portion. And there's a scripture in, in Psalms that says this, that the Lord, that we, those who de delight in the Lord, that he is our portion. And I, I read that one day and as I looked at that, I'm, 
I'm asking God, God, what is it for you to be my portion? And I just had one of those moments where I just stopped and I said, God, thank you that you're my portion because what that means and what he was telling me is that when he's my portion, it only tells me and reminds me that that portion is just a representation of more to come. He's my portion, which means there's more to give. If he gave me a portion, then he's got even more to pour out. And when I have a portion and he is my portion, I can hold on to a promise that he has more and he won't ever let me run dry or to be without that I can trust that he has more than enough that is needed in my life. You see, every good steward understands the importance of sharing, the importance of, 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 of giving back or importance of, of not hoarding and keeping. You think of the farmer and every farmer, if a farmer would receive all of his crops and in receiving all of his crops, he would bring all of his crops in and he would eat all of his crops. How many know he would even eat his seed, which means by eating his seed, he won't have the resources to plant to receive more next year. That even in reaping, there has to be a portion or portion set aside so that it can be given back into the ground so that it might produce. Because if we in this, in this, in this season and in our lives consume and take everything that we have, then we've eaten our seed. Pastor Jesse, who was with us in October a year ago, he said these words. He's a pastor from Liberia, and in his broken English on a Wednesday night, he preached a powerful message because he preached it for real, because he literally was preaching about what he was living, not having any food, and trusting God that he'll make something out of nothing, living in a country where they're without, where there's, a, where there's famine, and where there's difficulty. And Pastor Jesse said this thing that he learned in Africa, and he continued to learn. He said, you never eat your first fruit and you never eat your last fruit. Your first fruit is your offering that belongs to God. You give it to God. Your last fruit is your seed that you give back so that it might produce more and it might return to you. That in our lives, we've got to have an attitude or an atmosphere or in our lives setting this attitude of sharing and being willing to open ourselves up and allow a blessing to be poured out in our lives, to allow a blessing to be poured out from our lives. When we capture the heart of generosity, it's like planting a seed that gives way to more. Every time we, we, we have a heart of generosity, it's planting a seed that gives way to more. Look what it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It says this, Jesus, Paul saying the words of Jesus, Paul's reminding the people, remember what Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I know we could be spiritual and say, oh, that's because I don't like to get anything. I just like to give. How many know that's not true? I thank God that you like to give, but you also like to receive. And everybody said? And if you didn't, you are fibbing. You know you like to receive, but here's the important thing. Paul is telling what Jesus' words were. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because receiving is carnal and you shouldn't receive anything? No, it's because you won't receive until you first give. And it's one thing that if all you do is receive, you might receive a blessing, but the moment you use up the blessing you just received, there's no more blessing. You've used it all up. But when you give first, it only sets in motion something that comes back to you. And it's more blessed to give because every time you give, you're planting the seed for something to come back, which means you only have more to give and the more you give the more you get back it sets in a perpetual motion that when we become givers it sets us up to be receivers that's why it's more blessed to give than to receive it's more blessed to give because every time i'm giving it's setting a ground or it's 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 feeding the ground so it makes me ready so that i can receive something from god before there can ever be a reception there has to be a release 
Before there can ever be a reception, there has to be a release. And that's why giving is better than receiving because it's not that it's wrong to receive. It's that every time you give, you're making the ground ready so that you might receive. And in receiving, you might give more. And in giving more, you might receive more. And when you start with giving, it's like a wheel that just keeps on spinning. But when you start with getting, it ends. You catch that? When you start your life, your, your financial life in giving, it's a perpetual wheel that keeps moving. But when you start your life with getting, it dead ends quick. Because the moment you use up what you got, I know that's not proper English, thank you teachers. When you use it all up, you're done. But when you give, you're putting back so that you might receive even more in the process. God has called us to a life of generosity. He says in Deuteronomy 15, 5, you will receive this blessing if, everybody say if. It's conditional. You want God's blessing in your life? You will receive this blessing from God if you obey, if you're careful to obey the commands that the Lord your God is giving you, the Lord that that God is giving you today. If you want God's blessing, you must obey God's command, and his command is for us to be generous. Deuteronomy 15, 11, there will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share. What did he just say to you? And me, I'm commanding you. Now, Jesus, God, of course, speaking through Moses to the people, he didn't just say, hey, might be a good idea to do that. Might be something to consider. He uses a word here of command. He says, if you want blessing, you must obey. And this command I'm giving you is the command to share. I can't wait to tell that to Jordan and get into her candy bag. (laughs) Thus saith the Lord, girl. Just God has commanded us to share. Here's here's the important the sharing, the sharing is not about what we expend. Or what we put out. But the sharing is about where we put our trust and what we open the door. Because if you open the door for something to go out, it also means you open the door for something to come in. And until you open the door for something to go out, you can't expect that anything's going to come back in. Until there's an opening in that place. I don't know what you think about this, but here's my synopsis. The problem with our economy is that we have more takers than we have givers. Unfortunately, we have traded a mindset that says give and it shall be given for a mindset that says take it, you deserve it. We have traded God's blessing for selfish expectations. The world's economy is built on takers, but God's economy is built on givers. Which economy are we investing in today? Are we investing? And uh, this is, let me just, uh, Jody and I, we reached a place where we had to uh, look for another vehicle. And as we were going around about a month or so, looking for another vehicle, we went to this one guy, and he makes this pitch. He's telling us why this is the right car for us, why we need this car. And then he does this. He looks at my wife, not at me. He looks at my wife and says, and besides, you deserve it. Oh, no, you didn't. You 
can't tell me that. That, that, that just went against everything that I believe. And I, I, I had one of those moments where it was, well, actually, we deserve nothing. It's only by God's grace that we have anything. And sometimes the problem with our finances is that we take things we think we deserve that we really can't afford, and we get into a wrong mindset, and we get ourselves in trouble because we live with a mentality that says, take because you deserve it. That's a problem. Amen. Would you agree with that? It's such a problem that that's become the sales pitch of how we sell things. You deserve it. You deserve it. You, you deserve a 50-inch television. <laughs> Some husband just looked at his wife and said, it's a word from the Lord, honey. The Lord has just <laughs> spoken to us right now. You deserve a cell phone. Every person, everybody ought to have cell phone. You deserve it. You can't afford it, but you deserve it. You you. You have no means to pay for it, but you deserve it. You deserve it. You, you should have whatever you want at any cost. and what, You deserve it. Please don't try and raise my children with that mentality. Because the kids in my house, I love them all, but they know, hey, you're responsible for what you get. There's a responsibility. I will bless you, but it's not my obligation to bless you before it's first your obligation to honor me as your father. Now, some of you are like, oh, well, who do you think you are? I'm their dad, and I'm put in responsibility of their lives. That's who I am. I'm supposed to train them and teach them how to manage their finances, how to have responsibility, how to work, how to do things effectively, how to make right choices in life. That's my job. I'm their dad. I'm not their, some would say, sugar daddy. <laughs> I'm just their dad. I don't, listen, because we have gone into a place where we provide and we're not teaching responsibility. Generosity produces results, not taking. You cannot build an economy on taking. You cannot expect the blessings of God or have the blessings of God when all we do is live in an expectation of what we deserve. And if anybody would say, oh, that sounds so harsh. No, it's not harsh. It's the reality of how the word of God operates in our lives. And you might say today, but I don't have anything to give. That's not true. That's not true. You're breathing. And because you're breathing, you have something to give and something to contribute. What does generosity look like? Here's what generosity looks like. Let me give you a couple things that generosity looks like. Number one, just generosity is having the ability to give more than the need to get. When I have generosity and what generosity produces and what it looks like, it puts me in a place where I have the ability to give more than the need to get. Let me ask you this morning, would you rather be in a position of giving or in a position of needing? Every single one of us would rather be in a position of giving. And you might say, but I don't have anything. You're looking at the wrong picture. God's not asking what you have to give. He's asking if you're faithful with what you have. Are you being faithful with what you have? If you're the difference between the, the, the person in, in need of getting and the person who is in a place of giving is all doing with what they release and what they let go of. You have something. You can give something. You can give a word of encouragement. You can give your skills. You can give your talents. You can give your time. Don't tell me you don't have anything to give because if you don't have anything to give, then you're in no place or in no need to have anything to receive because the only reason you should receive is so that you might continue to give what you have to give because if you just keep getting and give nothing, it's an economy that's broken and it's not going to work. Right. 
I'm sorry, I guess a little bit. This idea of our lives, of how we give, I want you to know if you've got the ability, if, you, if you're breathing, then you can give a word of encouragement. You can bless. I've met people, yes, they're in need, but they give their talents. I've met people that they have gifts with their hands, and they might not have any money, but they use the gifts in their hands, and they bless people. And they might not even be at a place to make money for the blessing, but they're blessing somebody. And because they're blessing somebody, the blessing of the Lord is coming back. Don't ask yourself that you don't have enough to give. Be at a place of being willing to give what you do have, because we serve a God who takes the little and makes much out of it. We serve a God who takes your little bit of bread, your little bit of fish, he'll bless it, and you'll feed 5,000 you'll be able to lend and not borrow you'll be able to give and not have to expect you'll be able to bless and be a blessing in someone's life that's the God we serve you believe that this morning that he wants us to be in that place of blessing he wants to be in that place of where we're where we're giving if you wait until you have more to give the problem with waiting till you have more to give is that then you give according to your ability the effect of what I do for God is not based on my ability, but is based on his anointing that comes upon my ability. I need to give to God out of the little I do have because it's the miracle of God that works in the little that I do have and causes it to produce something more. What are we being, God's not, you might say he, here today, Jason, I'm not able to give one day's salary to feed the world. I'm not gonna, this isn't for you that if God's convicting you and calling you to do this, this isn't your out. But I'm going to say to you, if you can't give that, then you give God what you can. You honor God with what you can, and you give in faith believing. I, I, one time uh, Jalen was uh, playing basketball, and there's a reason why Jalen doesn't play. I'm just, I won't tell him, Jalen. Is she here? She's not here, so I can tell you. No, that's not nice. Jalen is into dance. She, she doesn't do basketball. And, uh, oh, man, she's going to. I'll give, her a, I'll give her an extra allowance or something. Uh, she was little playing in elementary, and uh, I was with her at practice, and uh, uh, she heard this one girl. This one girl went by and, and said, Coach, I need a sub. At the end of the game, Jalen came to me and said, Dad, why did that girl get a sub? She said she wanted a sub, and the coach said, Okay, come out. She said, I wanted a sub too. I was hungry. <laughs> Jalen can tear up the dance floor, but not the the basketball court that's she loves me I know she does but I was watching her at this same practice and Jalen has this ability she just she can love on people sometimes I wonder where she goes when she comes home <laughs> no I'm kidding she that's not nice I gotta quit talking okay anyway Jalen has a gift for loving people and I watched her at this basketball game and she's just blessing people up and down She's saying to this one girl who's really good, tearing it up, she's saying, you're really good. You do a great job. She's encouraging her. And I watched as she encouraged this one girl who was really good, and this girl that was really good had just received encouragement from Jalen. She turns around to another girl who's not as good and says, you're really not good at this. And here's a girl that just received a blessing from Jalen and passed on something opposite. I looked at that, and I, said, I thought to myself, it was one of those God moments to teach me, and so God said, what is it if you withhold your money? It's called greed. What is it, is if, what is it if you withhold goodwill, an opportunity to bless, words of encouragement, things that don't take money, but you hold what you can give? 
Don't just live your life saying you're, you're poor because of what you don't have. No, you're rich because of what you do have. And when you honor God with what you do have, he will bless you in return to make up for what you don't have because that's the kind of God we serve. It's the kind of God that we serve. And in our lives, being that blessing, I'm gonna ask Ashley to come this morning and help us close. Let me give you these last couple. What, did, what does generosity look like? It's having the ability to give more, to give more than the need to get. Number two, generosity is having compassion that moves us more than complacency that makes us stagnant. When I have generosity, it's compassion that moves us rather than making us stagnant. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 15, but if there are any poor Israelites in your town, when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and lend whatever they need. You realize God gave the Israelites, the land. He said, the land that God is giving you. Do you realize that in the land that God was giving them was the means that they needed to grow crops and to have a harvest? And so when God gave them the land, that land consisted of everything they needed to grow something. And God says, don't be tight-fisted. In fact, they set this rule up in the Old Testament. It was called gleaning, where you would go into the fields, and when you would, you would reap in the fields, you would only take what you needed and you would leave the rest behind so that those in need could come behind you and they could pick up. I, I was talking to someone this week as I was preparing for this and they said it's pretty interesting that the Bible doesn't say take it and go give it to them. Let them come behind because there's even a part of giving. There's a part of working. There's a part of being engaged in. There's a part of giving what we can, doing what we can, honoring where we can. He says, leave that behind and let someone come along, those that are in need. Don't hoard it all. Don't use it all on yourself. Allow there to be some that would go out and allow the generosity to go. Number three, generosity is having the knowledge that money is about the work more than the reward. When I receive money, blessing, it's not a reward for my work. It's a responsibility to do more. We've got to catch that. The blessing of God in my life is not just God saying, hey, buddy, I approve of you. Here's a blessing. It's God saying, not I approve of you. Here's a blessing. It's God saying, I trust you. Here's more to bless more. It's God saying, I trust you with more. I'm giving you more. And how many know that when you have more, more means more work? You look today and you say, man, it's not right. Those people have more money than I do. Do you know how much more work they have to do too? It's not right for us to look at someone who might, who, might, who might be at a place, whether they're Christian or not. That's out of the picture. I'm not talking that. I'm just talking about maybe they're blessed of God. It's not right for us to say that's not fair. They're blessed without lining up and saying and acknowledging what they had to do to get there. It's not fair to say, hey, they got all the blessing when we're not willing to look and say the price they had to pay to get to where they are. Right? And if our lives, that we can be an, a blessing as well, that we, in our lives, as we honor God, as we know that what God gives us, He only makes us more responsible. I, I love, this is Jody, uh, Jody's word. She said, and, and just something that we, we pray God every, every moment, help us to come more and more in this from the time we were married. God bless us so we can bless others. That sounds real, you know, righteous and yada, yada, yada. But it's something we try to keep in mind because we say, God, let us not be at a place where we get more so we can have more. Let us be at a place where we get more so that we can do more for your kingdom.
Let us be at a place where we can invest more into your kingdom, into the work that you've called us to do. And yet in the background, God will give blessing in response. It's not wrong to receive. It's not wrong to be blessed. It's not wrong to have. It is wrong to hoard and to keep and not allow a blessing to go out. It is wrong to not seek God first and to put him first. It is wrong to not to not guard your wants and your desires. That is wrong. But to be a blessing that God wants us to be. Lastly, generosity is having God's measurement more than man's measurement. When we become generous, we have God's measurement more than our measurement. Captain Levy, a believer from Philadelphia, was once asked the question, how could you give so much to the Lord's work and still possess the great wealth that you have? The captain replied, it's simple. As I shovel out, he shovels in. And his shovel's a lot bigger than mine. Every time I shovel out, he shovels in. The Bible says in Luke chapter 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The expectation that you believe God for is determined by what you let, what you give God to be a blessing to others. The same measurement you use to bless others is the same measurement you expect God to use to bless you in return. And in our lives, saying, God, I want to expect and believe that you're more, that you have more. Let's not go to the Thanksgiving table of God every week and say, God, it's mine, it's mine. I got to have it before it all runs out. Let us be at the Thanksgiving table every week, not just on Thanksgiving. And say, God, thank you for what you have provided. And because you have given, I know you will continue to give. And so I bless and release. Be a blessing to somebody. Maybe the one day to feed the world is an opportunity to say, God, I want to be a blessing. I want to pour out a blessing in someone's life. Giving in our lives to honor God. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.